Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in today's feature, we take a look at World Malaria Day, observed this Tuesday, the 25th of April. But first, I bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Tuesday evening, Egypt awaits the Pope of Peace. 25 million children missing out on school in conflict zones. And World Malaria Day observed this Tuesday. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis is scheduled to fly to Cairo on Friday the 28th of April for a two-day pastoral journey during which he will celebrate Mass, participate in a conference for peace, meet with clergy, encourage the small Egyptian Christian community in their faith and of course promote and deepen interreligious dialogue in the predominantly Muslim nation. One of the highlights of the visit is his meeting with the Orthodox Coptic Patriarch Tawadus II. Vatican Radio Stefano spoke to missionary sister Angela Colombi, provincial of the Kumboni Order in Egypt, about her expectations for the Pope's visit. I think that the Pope is respected by everyone, not only by the Christians. The Christians, of course, see in him a religious leader, but also a man of peace and the logo of the coming of the Pope, says, the Pope of peace for Egypt, Egypt for peace. People see in him a, a person who is trying to tell the world we are all equal. We are all children of the same God. So why not to live Sister Angela, many of uh, your uh, students of the Combonian schools will assist uh, to the arrival of the of the Pope. How did you prepare them? Yes, we have received from the commissions, uh, from the group who is preparing officially the coming of the Pope, that uh, all the students of the schools, they are invited to go to welcome him. They will dress their own uniform and uh, are asked to bring uh, their posters with the name of the school and also with the flags, you know, both of the Vatican and of the, of the country. So uh, this, according to me, will teach also the children to welcome not only the Pope, but uh, to have this attitude of welcoming and create an already an atmosphere of uh, tolerance and welcoming. In a video message to the people of Egypt ahead of his apostolic journey to the country, Pope Francis said the world needs peace, love and mercy. Here is Vatican Radio's Devin Watkins. Caro popolo d'Egitto, al-salamu alaikum. Pope Francis began his video message to the people of Egypt with the traditional greeting in Arabic, Peace be with you. He said he is coming as a friend, as a messenger of peace and a pilgrim to the country that, over 2,000 years ago, gave refuge and hospitality to the Holy Family as they fled the threats of King Herod. 
The Pope thanked those who invited him, including the President, Patriarch Tuadros II, the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, and the Coptic Catholic Patriarch, as well as all those people preparing for his arrival. He said he would like his visit to be a witness of my affection, comfort, and encouragement for all the Christians of the Middle East. He called his interreligious and ecumenical visit a message of friendship and respect for all the inhabitants of Egypt and the region, and a message of brotherhood and reconciliation with all the children of Abraham, particularly the Muslim world in which Egypt holds so important a place. Speaking about recent blind violence in the country, Pope Francis said, Il nostro mondo ha bisogno di pace, di amore, di misericordia. Our world needs peace, love, and mercy. It needs peacemakers, people who are free and who set others free, men and women of courage who can learn from the past in order to build the future, free of every form of prejudice. He went on to say our world needs people who can build bridges of peace, dialogue, fraternity, justice, and humanity. Finally, Pope Francis extended a warm embrace to the Egyptian people of all religions, age, and means. Thank you, he said, and may Egypt flourish. The gospel must be proclaimed with humility, overcoming the temptation of pride. That was the exhortation of Pope Francis at the morning mass at Casa Santa Marta on the feast of St. Mark the Evangelist. Among those taking part in the mass were the cardinal councils of the C9. In his homily, Pope Francis reflected on a passage from the Gospel of St. Mark, which relates the story of the Great Commission. He said, The Gospel is always proclaimed on the journey, never seated, always on the journey. The Holy Father spoke about the necessity for Christians of going out to proclaim the good news. A preacher, he said, must always be on a journey and not seek an insurance policy, seeking safety by remaining in one place. In other news, a new report by the UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, has found that more than 25 million children between 6 and 15 years old are missing out on school in conflict zones across 22 countries. The agency works in conflict-affected countries to get children back into a learning environment. It provides so-called catch-up education and informal learning opportunities, while training teachers, rehabilitating schools and distributing school furniture as well as supplies. Here is UN News' Jocelyn Sambira. South Sudan has the highest rate of out-of-school children, with close to 72% missing out on the classroom, followed by Chad and Afghanistan, says UNICEF. The three countries also have the highest rate of girls who are out of school. At the lower secondary school level, the highest rates of out-of-school children are found in the West African nation of Niger, where three-quarters of girls are not in school. This year in Chad, UNICEF has responded to the education crisis there by providing school supplies to more than 58,000 students, supporting the salaries of over 300 teachers and more. The agency will also provide quality education for children who've been displaced and those living in host communities with a $10 million fund entitled Education cannot win, raised during the World Humanitarian Summit in May 2016. Despite these efforts, funding shortfalls mean that children are still having trouble accessing classrooms in the conflict-affected areas of Chad. A 19-year-old refugee and activist dubbed the Malala of Syria has been hearing for herself how Boko Haram terrorists in Chad have disrupted education for a whole generation of young students. Muzan Al-Melehan, whose escape from horrific violence in her homeland has led many to compare her with the UN messenger of peace Malala Yousafzai. 
On Monday, UNICEF announced that 25 million children between 6 and 15 years old are missing out on school in conflict zones across 22 different countries. 19-year-old Muzan has been visiting Chad with UN Children's Fund, UNICEF. The most important thing in this visit to drive awareness about the challenges of children who are living in emergencies and also to have equal learning for every child in these situations and the people who were affected by war and conflict. Mm-hmm. So meeting those people is really important to help them and not just to talk about them, but also to uh, support them and stand with their issues. Mm-hmm. You met also a girl, a 16-years-old girl, that was abducted, unfortunately, by Boko Haram. What did you feel when you meet her, you as a young lady who had to flee war? I was really happy to meet a girl like her. When I asked her about education, she just told me that education is uh, very important and I would like to go to school, I would like to learn. And uh, because I am alive and I can breathe, then I can be somebody one day in my life. Mm -hmm. So when I heard her, that motivated me so much. I need people like her that gives me positive hope for the children here. Even if they suffer, but they still want to achieve something in their lives. So meeting a girl like her, it is a perfect example for many girls around the world. And positive message and strong motivation to improve and develop of the situation in Chad right now. I want to touch base on your journey. You are from Syria, a conflict zone. You moved to Jordan because you had to. You had to flee war to a Zaatari camp. There you met Malala, and then you are in the UK. You're still working towards raising awareness. Tell me about this journey. Yes, my journey has started when the war started uh, began actually in Syria, when everything became so difficult. So my parents decided to go to Jordan, uh, to go to the safe place and for a better life. For me, I didn't want actually to leave because I thought that maybe I cannot continue my education and also to leave everything behind, the friends, relatives, so those things are so important to me. But at the end, they said yes, because they, my family actually, they need to go to a safe place. And then when we arrived to the Zati camp, you know, everything at the beginning is very difficult. First time I couldn't actually adjust to live there. When I found that I can continue my education in camp, I was really happy because uh, when I'm an educated person, I can face the challenges. And when uh, and that moment actually changed my life, and that gave me actually hope for the future. Also, but unfortunately, uh, I met many girls and boys who think that education it is not important mm. thing for the future and it is not a priority. So I told myself to uh, start a campaign to go from 10 to 10 to encourage girls and boys and also to uh, encourage uh, parents to send their children to school. Then I had a chance to meet Malala Yousafzai. Um, she heard about me and my campaign. And I spent with her a day in the camp. I was really happy to meet a person like her. She's such a perfect example. And she's a remarkable young woman. She suffered a lot to fight for the rights of education. So meeting with a person like her, that gives a strong motivation. So we have the same goal. So I was really happy to uh, be a friend with her and to share with her 
my daily activities in the camps and also the challenges to the right of education. Mm. So now we are down listening together and we are friends. So They compare you. They compare you to Malala. You know that, right? They say that you are the the Malala of Syria. Do you do you like that? Yes, Uh, yes, (laughs) of course. When the people say that that you are a Syrian Malala, that means uh, I did remarkable things, and uh, it is uh, very important to uh, to mention that and to be happy because Mm -hmm. Malala did actually amazing things in her life. And she's really, uh, really deserves actually what she, uh, what she has done through in her life. And when I have the name, that means, uh, and uh, that means we are both strong as women, and we can change in our communities, and then we can achieve our goals, especially when we fight for the right to education for every single child in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to uh, end with you on a note. You just mentioned that you were moving from tent to a tent to raise awareness about education in the camp, uh, in the Zaatari camp, because there were women and uh, uh, men that thought education is not priority. For you, why education is important? Why education is a priority? Actually, when we talk about education, it is not just a word that we say. It is everything. The education is actually the thing which gives us everything. It gives us power. It gives us uh, chances. It opens many doors in front of us. By education, we can achieve our hopes, achieve our dreams. And also, uh, we can rebuild our countries. So when we have uh, education, then we are strong. We can uh, improve. We can develop. We can make a change. And finally, the world's first malaria vaccine is to be trialed on children in three African countries, that is Ghana, Kenya and Malawi. Announced by the World Health Organization, WHO, on Monday, the jab provides protection from the most deadly form of the disease. Around 430,000 people died of malaria in 2015, the majority of them youngsters in Africa. Daniel Jensen reports from UN News. The UN Health Agency says that the vaccine could help save tens of thousands of lives in Africa, which bears the greatest burden of malaria worldwide. The jab is to be given to children aged 5 to 17 months in Ghana, Kenya and Malawi, beginning in mid-2018. These three countries were chosen because they continue to see high rates of infection despite their well-functioning anti-malaria programs. The injectable vaccine, known as RTS,S, was developed to protect young children from the most deadly form of malaria caused by the Plasmodium falciparum parasite. Although the vaccine is the only malaria drug to have successfully completed a series of clinical trials, it still needs to be injected four times before it is fully effective. How feasible that is will be one of the things that's tested before the vaccine is made available more widely through routine national immunization programs. Here's WHO's Mary Hamill speaking from Nairobi, Kenya. We'll use these pilots to understand better how to reach children with these four doses of this vaccine and in the real-life setting how the vaccine can really impact severe malaria and mortality. The near $50 million cost of the first phase of this pilot program is being met by a range of WHO partners, including Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria, and Unitaid. You can hear more about World Malaria Day in our feature program coming up next. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today.
Thank you once again for joining me this Tuesday evening. As I've mentioned right in the beginning of the broadcast is that today, the 25th of April, the world marks Malaria Day. And that's exactly what we'll be looking at up next. The World Health Organization has announced that trials of a new malaria vaccine will take place in three African countries, Kenya, Ghana and Malawi. They have been selected for their high prevalence of malaria and strong existing immunization programs for other diseases. The announcement was made ahead of the UN's World Malaria Day, observed this Tuesday, 25th April, and the chosen theme for this year is a push for prevention. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, around 430,000 people died of the illness in 2015-2016, the majority of them African youngsters. The new jab will be given to children from mid-2018, as WHO Senior Technical Officer Mary Hamill explains. At WHO, we are very pleased to be able to announce in advance of World Malaria Day and during African Vaccination Week that the first vaccine against malaria, which has been designed to prevent illness and death in African children, will be piloted in three African countries. And those countries are Malawi, Ghana, and Kenya. We expect the first vaccines to start sometime uh, in mid-2018, and we'll use these pilots to understand better how to reach children with these four doses of this vaccine and in the real-life setting how the vaccine can really impact severe malaria and mortality. It's already been trialed, but you're going to be testing how effective this vaccine is, the RTS, S vaccine is in the real world, so to speak, because as you say, it needs four different injections. And isn't that one of the main question marks over it? I mean, how confident are you that this, this uh, new vaccine will be effective in the real world? Well, this is a big question. Can we reach the children with four doses that are outside at least some of the doses will be outside of the normal routine immunization time period. The last dose is given at two years of age, and we don't have many vaccines that are given in the second year of life, although there are some. So we're going to use this time to find out how to reach the children with these vaccines. Will there need to be additional efforts over what is usually done during a immunization delivery system or immunization campaigns in order to reach these children. And can you maybe give me a bit more detail about what this vaccine is designed to do? I mean, when we say it's designed to combat malaria, it's specifically going after the very, very virulent form of the, uh, the parasite, the plasmodium, excuse my pronunciation, falciparum. Yeah, the plasmodium falciparum, that's right. And that is the deadliest of the malaria parasites. Malaria, even now, even with the progress made over the last 15 years, malaria continues to result in over 200,000 cases of malaria per year and around 400,000 deaths. And most of these cases and most of these deaths are in African children. So this vaccine has been shown to reduce malaria episodes by about 40%. And you can imagine if we could introduce it broadly, if it turns out that it is a vaccine that we can uh, get four doses in and it, it looks like it's worthwhile to give a broader recommendation, it could really have some considerable impact. Considerable impact, you mean 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives? We think that if this vaccine were fully implemented, it could reduce tens of thousands of deaths per year, which would be hundreds of thousands of lives over a number of years. And final question to you. The trialing is taking place in three African countries, Africa being the main continent where malaria affects people the most. That's right. The vast majority of malaria illness and deaths is in Africa and in African children. This vaccine was specifically designed for children in Africa, and that's the only place where it's being recommended for use in these pilot programs in these three countries at this time. And that was WHO Senior Technical Officer Mary Hamill. Now, University of Cape Town Drug Discovery and Development Center H3D Director Professor Kelly Chibale says resistance to malaria drugs is a major problem. Malaria is a disease caused by um, a parasite. Um, uh, and there are different species of this parasite, um, the, but the most common one and the most um, uh, one that's responsible for malaria is a species we call Plasmodium falciparum. So it's a disease uh, in which when the symptoms manifest itself, um, it's really, really characterized by fevers and vomiting, etc., etc. But it is really caused by a parasite uh, that infects the, the uh, first of all, the liver and then the red blood cells which begin to rupture, and, and that's when we see the clinical symptoms of the disease. So um, I will describe very briefly uh, the work that we are doing uh, in our University of Cape Town Drug Discovery and Development Center, also known as H3D. We have a portfolio of malaria projects with different partners, but I'm going to just concentrate on one partnership uh, just to give an example of what we're doing, but also to give an example of, of a program that has made uh, enormous progress in over the last uh, four or five years, uh, which is really bringing hope and inspiration to the global community in terms of uh, new medicines for malaria. But let me start by simply saying that the, what, the, what we are looking for in terms of the malaria community, in terms of what we want to see in the next generation of medicines for malaria, Obviously, the first thing we want to do is make sure that any new medicine for malaria that is discovered and developed is able to be effective on strains of the parasites which are resistant to conventional medications. In other words, we need to find new medicines that are able to work against all strains of malaria parasites, including those which are resistant to non-drugs. So that's the first thing that's obvious, is that we need to address the question of resistance through new medicines. The next thing that we are looking for in new medicines for malaria, and this is because of the malaria elimination or eradication agenda that is being driven from different perspectives. But from a medicine perspective, we are looking to come up with uh, medicines that can kill the malaria parasite at all the life cycle stages. And I will remind you what those stages are very, very briefly. So I mentioned the first port of call for the parasite when a female anopheles mosquito bites a human host is the liver. But you, there are no symptoms at the liver. So we're looking for new medicines that can kill the parasite while 
in the liver, at the liver stage, because then if we do that, there is no chance for the parasites to then attack the red blood cells and go into the, the red blood cells. So we can stop them at the liver stage. So that's one property we're looking for in terms of new medicines. So medicines that can kill the parasite at the liver stage and therefore potentially offer protection uh, from getting the infection uh, by preventing infection of the red blood cells. And, of course, the other property that we're looking for is also, of course, being able to kill parasites at the blood stage. In other words, when we miss, uh, when people are not taking drugs for prevention, um, they only take them when the infection manifests itself through clinical symptoms. Obviously, we're looking for medicines that can also kill the parasites in the blood, in the red blood cells, at the, at the blood stage, including those strains which are resistant to conventional drugs. The third aspect of how new medicines are going to contribute to malaria elimination and or eradication is to find medicines that kill the transmissible forms of the parasites. So those parasites which are then taken up by the mosquito and then they go through some development within the mosquito and then the, the mosquito can then bite another person. So in summary, uh, we're looking for new medicines that can actually kill the parasite at the liver stage and therefore potentially offer protection, kill the parasite in the blood, uh, meaning that we can control the clinical symptoms and cure the person of malaria, and then looking for medicines that can block transmission. So it's prevention, control, and um, preventing um, transmission. In terms of our program that we're doing here, the the most advanced malaria program we've had uh, in our drug discovery center at UCT uh, in H3D is, has been in partnership with the Medicines for Malaria Venture, who are based in Geneva, Switzerland. They are a private public partnership. And this collaboration with um, uh, MMV, which is the abbreviations for Medicines for Malaria Venture, and other international partners. Um, this is a collaboration that has focused on looking for new drugs, uh, discovering new drugs that impact this parasite at all the life cycle stages that offer not just malaria control, but also contribute to malaria eradication by killing the parasite at different stages, including blocking transmission. So the summary of this program, I'll give you an example of the summary of the program. This, this is actually a drug that was first announced in August of 2012. Um, at that stage, uh, this is a drug, uh, it was in the, in the news for a long time. Uh, but at that stage when it was announced in 2012, it was simply a preclinical development candidate. In other words, we had identified it in 2012 as a compound that was both efficacious on all strains of the malaria parasite that we could find, including those that are resistant. But also we found it to be effective in terms of blocking uh, transmission, uh, killing those transmissible forms of the parasite, and also 
are working also at the liver stage, killing the parasites at the liver stage. So that was in 2012 when this drug was first announced as a preclinical development uh, candidate. What then has happened uh, since then is that it went through preclinical development, and I don't want to bother you with the details of that, and eventually um, it went through successfully, and then it was then entered phase one human trials. And those human trials were actually conducted uh, here at the University of Cape Town by Professor Karen Barnes uh, and her team at, at the hospital, at Kruzka Hospital here at UCT. So that phase one um, um, finished uh, about uh, 2015, and, and this year uh, we are now making with our partners, MMV, making preparations for this uh, drug to go into phase two human studies, uh, which of course uh, is, is progress. But we have a long way to go. Um, there's no guarantee that this drug will be successful throughout the, the, the clinical, human clinical studies. But so far, so good. But there's a long way to go. And that was uh, Professor Kelly Chibale, the director of the University of Cape Town Drug Discovery and Development Center, talking to us about malaria. That brings me up to time. You've been listening to your Tuesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented for Radio Veritas by Sheila Pirsch. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao.